Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. In 2019, May, May of 2019 to be specific, uh, if you can think back that far, that was BC, before COVID, but if you can go back that far. <laughs> May of 2019, a video started circulating the internet. It was seen millions of times. It was shared tens of thousands of times, including by the President of the United States. It was a video of the Speaker of the House at the time being interviewed publicly on a stage and sounding clearly inebriated in some way. Slow speech, slurring words perhaps, many commenters and posters speculating about the speaker being drunk on stage or maybe had a stroke and the speaker's PR people having to put out statements to refute all of that. In June of 2023, a lot more recent, in June of 2023, there was a uh, platform, an online streaming platform called Twitch, which if you are a gamer, you are very familiar with, and if you're over 50, you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Uh, they hosted a live debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and it was a live debate that uh, allowed for user-submitted questions. And so people could write in anything, and uh, either Donald Trump or Joe Biden um, would answer their questions. And they were ridiculous questions, as you might assume. Uh, somebody asked whether Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie. Uh, Donald Trump was very emphatic that it is indeed a Christmas movie. Uh, things got really weird in the debate between the two of them, including at one point, uh, Joe Biden told Donald Trump that he hoped he enjoyed the rest of his miserable effing life living in his mom's basement. In October and November of 2023, videos started coming out of Israel and uh, Gaza, Palestine, of babies lying in rubble, bloodied and screaming, clearly either abandoned by families that left them or abandoned by families that had died next to them. Both sides of that conflict posting these videos with statements along the lines of, look what they are doing to us. Look at the monsters that they are. What do all three of these videos have in common? They are all faked. Every last one of them. Uh, the online debate some of you are going, I really feel like I would have remembered a debate where one of them cussed out the other one. You would. Uh, the online debate uh, was uh, started, uh, launched by an AI company who was simply proving how realistic they could make uh, people look and sound. I don't know that it fooled anybody. They told people it was AI, but, but boy, if you saw it out of context. 
The videos in both May of 2019 and the fall of 2023 are heavily edited, and those who know how to make that stuff work and have the technology to do so can easily prove it. It's not even debatable, really, whether these are real. And yet, when they first come across somebody's feed, they sure appear real. Again, these videos were shared tens of thousands of times. Sure, I'm, I'm positive by some people who just wanted to create anarchy, but also by people who really believed them. We, we have reached a time and place where it is maybe as hard as ever to know what is actually true. With all the knowledge that we have access to, the line between what is real and what is fake, what is truth and what is lie, is so thin as to look like each other. As we approach the full heat of election season, a growing number of experts and analysts are really concerned about how we're going to interact with this reality. And they're concerned in two separate but equal directions. On the one hand, concerned that uh, people just aren't going to believe anything anymore. That it's like something true is going to be posted about a candidate, and because uh, they don't want to believe that thing about them, they'll simply go, nah, that's fake. I mean, in the last however many years, we have seen this happen already. On the other hand, concerned that uh, people are going to believe a lie as something true, particularly, right, if it already, if, if it affirms something we already believed. To go, well, yeah, I always knew that person would say those things or do those things or always thought they were awful. In a world of so many lies, how do we commit to truth. In a world of so many lies, and again, in a world where lie looks like truth and vice versa, how do we commit to truth? As we start 2024 here at East Hills, we want to spend the next few weeks talking about some practices that will help us be everyday people following Jesus every day, some, some practical ways to live out an everyday faith. Uh, we are not going to make up our own list of how to do this, although I suppose we could, uh, but we are going to pull a list directly out of the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, uh, which Sky read for us last week. We, we read the, the entirety of the thing, and uh, that was a, a very cool experience. Uh, and we're going to pull one little section uh, and that Paul uh, refers to uh, as the armor of God. He, he lists these practices and habits, calls them the armor of God. Uh, and so we're going to dig into that section over the next few weeks. So here's what we're digging into. It's Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 11. I'll just read what we're going to, what we're going to cover here in the next few. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. 
Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So we're going to go through those practical tips and habits over the next six weeks. And we're starting today uh, with verse 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, we can tell from scripture, from the entirety of the New Testament, that truth mattered a lot to the early church leaders. There are all kinds of teachings and warnings about speaking the truth, about false teachers, because they knew a couple of things. They knew that they were a young burgeoning movement and that if somebody were to start telling lies about them, or if somebody was going to start uh, acting hypocritically, saying one thing but doing another, not lining their lives up, they knew that that would be really, really bad for the movement. They also knew that there was an easy opportunity then in this young movement where where uh, word and teaching really only traveled by word of mouth, it was not super fast, that somebody or somebodies could rise up and say, oh yes, I'm a teacher of this faith, and then teach horrible, awful, not true things, um, and really divide and mess up the movement right at the very beginning. So it's very important to the early church leaders that people spoke what was true, and there's verses about that littered throughout the uh, New Testament, including if we just back up a couple of chapters in Ephesians. I'm going to move back one page. This is Ephesians 4:25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. In other words, that Paul's saying we, we must tell the truth because it is part of how we care for one another. And we need to trust each other if we're going to do life together. Uh, remember, for, for them, it, it was literally them against the most powerful nation in the world and all of its military and might. And telling each other the truth is part of how, Paul says, we will protect each other. Being aware of false teachers so that when they step into our midst, we can evaluate what is true and what is not, follow what is true, disregard what is not. Again, understanding that, that at that stage of the movement, a false teacher could lead people way off course or could simply really mess up the reputation of the church or of Jesus in the culture at large. And let's be real, we're 2,000 years into this thing and people stepping up in the name of Christ and saying false things is still messing up the reputation of the church and of our Savior. And so these verses are littered through the New Testament. Uh, in our equipping verse today, verse 14, Paul compares truth to a belt and righteousness to a chest protector or, or body armor. 
Uh, and, and he's using an analogy here, right? Thinking of uh, the, the Roman soldier that the people would have known. Uh, they, they would have been able to instantly draw up the picture in their head of a Roman soldier and their armor. Uh, Paul is also writing this from prison, most likely. So uh, it is a fun mental exercise to imagine Paul either writing this or dictating it to somebody while sitting in his prison cell, staring at the guard who now unwittingly becomes the example of how the Jesus followers should walk out their daily faith in this analogy. I think it's worth asking the question, why is Paul using a military analogy? There's some fight here. Is Paul trying to use the Roman soldier to say, okay, this is how they're going to attack you, so this is how you need to attack them? Is, is he trying to equip them for some culture war to win? No, no. And he's really actually very explicit about that. Remember in verse 12 of Ephesians 6, He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He uses the Roman armor as a contrast for the believer and how they should be equipped for everyday Faith. Essentially, Paul is saying, look, you do not need to worry about this scary Roman soldier uh, because the worst they can do is take your life, and that's not so bad anyway. And besides, they don't even know what battle they're in. They think they're in a battle against you. There is a spiritual battle going on, and they don't even know it, and you do. So as long as you're fighting that battle, here's how you need to armor up. Because the truth is, in any, if you think about any fight, any game, any war, whatever, if you are not focused on the right enemy, that enemy will overtake you. If you're focused on the wrong enemy and you're not paying any attention to the actual problem, the actual enemy in your life, that enemy will overtake you while you are distracted with something else. A silly example, I'm so tired of watching basketball players argue with referees. Soccer players do this all the time too. They're so busy arguing with the referee that the other team is scoring while they're having a fight with the referee because they weren't paying attention to the right enemy. How much are we squabbling with the wrong enemy? So he, he draws, in this one passage, he draws a great analogy. He redirects the Jesus followers' focus and he equips them for daily life, all in one passage, and it's just brilliant. So a brief explanation of this armor that would have been very familiar to them, but maybe is not as familiar to us, or at least an explanation of the two elements we're gonna talk about today. Uh, The belt was thick, uh, almost like a weightlifter's belt, but not quite that thick, and it served a couple of purposes. Um, One is it, uh, it held everything together, right? Uh, as belts do, it sort of kept the uniform all in place. The other purpose was it held weapons. Like that, that's what you hung your weapons on. And now Paul doesn't go into very many weapons. He'll just go into one, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But he is saying, look, you, you are in a fight. You need to make sure you're fighting the right enemy, but you are in a fight, and you need to be prepared for and armed for that fight. 
But I also think it's really significant that it holds the whole uniform together and that Paul starts here with the belt of truth because the belt of truth, or the belt in the, the, um, in, in the analogy, in the actual armor, would have been one of the last things to go on. But Paul lists it first as the thing that holds everything together because everything he talks about from here is not going to hold together. It's not going to be a cohesive teaching if there is not a focus on truth. And if it's not based in, in truth, uh, it all falls apart. Again, early church fathers, including Paul, knew that the lies would destroy everything. And then the other thing that they knew and talked about a lot would destroy everything is the hypocrisy of the believers or of how the church acted. That the teaching truth but living a lie would be equally painful to the movement, to the gospel. So one of the things that the belt uh, held in place was uh, this, this body armor, uh, this uh, chest, breastplate, chest plate, depending on your translation, of righteousness. For a poor Roman soldier, they would have had a small chest plate that would have covered vital organs. For a more powerful or richer Roman soldier, um, they would have had a, a whole thing that went on almost like a shirt made out of metal that would have covered their front and their back and even their shoulders. But whichever one Paul is envisioning here, uh, it, it works the same way. The point remains the same. Uh, the breastplate protects the chest and the gut which the ancient world knew that it contained vital organs, um, but also knew uh, that that is where all of our desires and decisions come from. Like we think about this as coming from our brain, right? Our thoughts happen in our brain. Uh, but when, we, when somebody's trying to make a decision and they don't know what to do, we don't tell them to go with their brain. We tell them to go with their gut, we have, and, and if you've ever felt your emotions physically, you're nervous, uh, th- that, that feeling 30 minutes before the prom dance, right? What I, where, that's all happening in your gut, in your stomach, right? The, the anger tenses up the muscles in our chest and maybe in our arm. They, they knew that emotions, decisions, to their understanding, happened in the chest. Their hearts got tight, their chest got tight. Their stomach turned. So the, in this analogy, the breastplate, the body armor of righteousness is protecting our desires and our decisions from the enemy and, and keeping them godly. So let's, uh, righteousness I know is a very churchy word, so let's define this very churchy word this way for this morning. It's not a Merriam-Webster definition, but I think it will work. Uh, righteousness is lining up with God's prescribed way of life. It's lining up with God's prescribed way of life. So when I say prescribed, um, talking about laws, uh, directions, um, truth in scripture, prescriptions and directions or maybe just descriptions of a way of life from the one who made us and knows the ways we are meant to function, both individually and as a community. And one very important form of righteousness to the early church was the righteousness, the truth of how we spoke and what we shared. 
So part of lining our lives up with the ways of God is aiming to live and to speak in righteousness and truth. Now, my brain does some weird hop around things. And it did one of those weird hop around things this week and you all get to benefit or something from it this morning. As I was thinking about these words, about the ways of God and the truth of God, my brain hyperlinked to a different Bible verse altogether. And some of you are very familiar with this verse. This is John 14, 6. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this is a powerful and slightly controversial passage, uh, and I'm going to confess to you that I'm doing a thing preachers are probably not supposed to do, and I'm going to pull it completely out of context, and we're not going to talk about any of the controversy parts. Uh, I really encourage you to dig into this verse. What does it mean that I am the way to the Father? When Jesus says that he is the life, what does that mean? When he says, I am, that in and of itself is massively significant. Uh, so if you've not dug into that verse, you could, that, there's your homework for the week. Dig in to John 14, 6. I'm going to pull it out of context because as I think about these words, the way, the truth, and the life, I think these three words, if we can remember them, are really helpful framework for us in how we decide what to speak and share. So, I'm telling you, my brain does weird, weird stuff. Okay. So especially, especially this year, but every year going forward, every day going forward, how do we think through what we choose to share with other people? I think it'd be helpful to ask yourself these three questions, and maybe John 14, 6 can help remember these three things. The first question before you share something, is it true? Is it true? Now, I know that the person who told you is probably a very, very trustworthy person. And I know the person who posted it and you saw it on Facebook is probably a very trustworthy person and you can guess that they did their research. And I know for sure that what we really want to do when we're scrolling through Instagram is we just want to hit the share button or the, the share with somebody and then we just want to keep scrolling because the apps are all designed to make us want to keep scrolling. Anyway, take the extra minute and make sure it's true. Make sure that you are not passing on something that is false. That when somebody says, hey, did you hear about that family and their kid? And, and, and you could go, oh my gosh, I better get the whole prayer chain on this and I better talk to anybody who's a prayer warrior that I know and we're gonna pray for this family. It would be helpful to go back to, just, I know it might be awkward, but before you share it, to go back to the family and say, hey, I... I heard that your son got bit by an African snake. And I know that's weird because he hasn't left Kelso, but it might be true. I really believe the person who told me, they're very trustworthy, is that true. Take the extra 30 seconds, five-minute conversation. Make the extra phone call, the extra text. We do have 
an incredible amount of information available to us. If you see something on social media, take a second to Google whether or not it is true. Do you need to do that with everything? I don't know. Does it really matter if that quote was said by Mark Twain, Abraham Lincoln, or Julius Caesar? I don't know. But all of them seem to go back to those three people. I don't know why that is either. Or Mother Teresa, I guess, is the other one. Anyway, I, I think it is helpful to take the extra two minutes and go, did that person say this? Is this actually what they said? Is it actually what it meant? Just a couple of minutes, is it true? Because in a world where truth looks like lie and vice versa, we just need to be more careful. The truth is, we probably always needed to be more careful. (laughs) So let's be extra careful. Now, is it true? Along those same lines, ask yourself, is it life-giving? Is it life-giving? Does it contribute something positive to the person or to the conversation? Now, I'm not saying that everything you post or everything you say to somebody should make them feel good. I would like to say that, but that's not what I'm saying. Jesus looked at a group of people and called them a brood of snakes. And I think I've said this before, I really struggle with that that story because that is not nearly as positive and encouraging as I would like Jesus to be. And it turns out that Jesus didn't care very much about being positive and encouraging. He cared a lot about telling people the truth and inviting them to life. So that same group of people, he called them another time, he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, y'all look pretty on the outside. Your lives look all pretty and sparkly and you are dead on the inside. And I want to invite you to come to life. And so to the powerful people, he would make them confront how their power and how they were using it and how their religiosity was killing them. And it was bringing death to the people around them. And then the people who were outcast, who were shut down, who thought they didn't have a voice, he said, I want to invite you to speak up. I want to invite you to, to participate, to be, I want you to know that you can have life. Uh, again, not telling them they don't have to change at all, not not lying to them. What he said was true. I think of the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery who's tossed in the ground publicly and they're ready to stone her. And Jesus speaks life. He spoke what is true, both to the guy, and this this is in John 8. You can go read the story for yourself. He spoke what is true to the guys holding the rocks, but also to the woman And he invited her to life, to live a different way. He said, go and sin no more. Don't do this anymore. But he also didn't wait for her to go home and take a shower and get all cleaned up and look pretty and impressive to invite her to come to life. He simply invited her to come and live a different way. He sent death away from her quite literally, and invited her to live with him. He didn't encourage people to stay stuck in their coping or their escaping, but he told them that life was available to them. And with that in mind, the third question is, does it make a way toward Jesus? 
And I have been thinking about this one a lot this week because I know that there is good truth in this and I am struggling to get my brain and my words wrapped all the way around it. Some of that is that I wanted to ask this question in a positive, but my brain tends to think of things negatively. So it may be uh, at least more helpful for me to think of this question um, as does it put a barrier between people and Jesus that Jesus didn't put? All right. Is there a way still there for them to come to Jesus? And I'm thinking particularly of our non-Christian friends, right? Who we then, because they're not actually interacting with Jesus, that means the Jesus people represent Jesus to them. Does the attitude that you are posting things with, does the content of what you are saying, does the uh, heart that comes through it, invite people to take a step toward Jesus, to feel like they can pursue Jesus. As you are talking with the people around you in the waiting room, at the neighborhood bus pickup, at the sporting event, at whatever it may be, does it look like Jesus changes the way we act and talk? Again, not just to make everybody kind and positive and encouraging, but But does it actually change how we worry? Does it change what we do with our anger? Does it change how we approach injustice? Is there a way made toward Jesus for people? Again, not everything you post has to be evangelistic. Not everything you say has to lead people into a Jesus conversation. But when the people around you know that you're following Jesus and they look at your life and they say, that life does not look any different than the one that I'm leading, how does that invite them to pursue Jesus further? Post about your sports teams, post your family pictures, uh, do all of that. That is fantastic. I think you can post about politics if you want to. I think how we do that really matters. Because if we're posting in such a way that 50% of the country looks at that and goes, well, I can't follow Jesus because I don't agree with them on that political issue, we're putting up barriers that Jesus quite explicitly did not put up. And we'll talk, this is a weird cliffhanger, we'll talk more about that in like four months. But (laughs) we'll get there. Before you share something with the person next to you, before you click the share button. Is it true? Is it life-giving? Does it make a way toward Jesus? A weird fact about, do I have time for this? I don't, but that's okay. Uh, Weird fact that I learned about posting things on social media. This is actually gonna come as no surprise to you, this first part anyway. Um, Did you know that studies have shown that when we post things on social media, it changes nobody's mind. Not a person. No, nobody changes their mind over what's posted on social media. You know what it does? Studies have proven that it reinforces and entrenches the position of the person who posted it. Because here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna get affirmed and liked, all those little hearts and thumbs ups, right? And the people who comment are either going to tell you how smart and wonderful you are, or they're going to argue with you, which is going to make you plant a foot and get defensive. You're not changing anybody's mind. What you are doing is you're reaffirming your own position 
and you're losing the ability to see from somebody else's perspective, you're losing the ability to humbly wonder if you might be wrong, and you're losing the ability to engage in conversation. So be careful when you post, what you share with a neighbor, conversations over the fence, is it true? Is it life-giving? Is there a way for that person to continue to pursue Jesus? Now, can Jesus overcome all the barriers that we put up? Absolutely, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely, and does all the time to get to people. But that doesn't mean we need to make it any harder than it already is, okay? Is it true? Is it life-giving? Does it make a way toward Jesus? A quick detour off this highway uh, to stop in a little highway town uh, called Your Self Thoughts. Some of you apparently do not think in words, and I don't understand how that happens. My brain is making words all the time. But some of you think in pictures or colors or values or whatever it may be, our brains are amazing. But however it is that you have some sort of self-evaluation loop, mine is words, this also needs to be true. When you have a thought, uh, I am a terrible husband, is that true? Which, by the way, women are better at talking about this than guys are, but can we please stop pretending that guys don't have the same self-criticism thing going on? Like, we're all doing it. I mean, I know that I'm messed up, but so are some of you. Okay, so, (laughs) I am a bad husband. Is it true? And some of you are like, I mean, maybe. Okay, so is it true? How are you going to find out? You can ask your wife. Some of you are like, well, that's a bad idea. She's the one who told me. Okay. (laughs) Moving right along. Everybody can use help for marriage counseling. It's a good idea. Okay, so is it true? You can ask your wife. Maybe ask another guy who you respect their marriage and the way that their family functions. I go, here's what's going on. Am I messed up? And hopefully you found somebody who will look at you and go, yeah, yeah, man, that was pretty awful. Yeah. Or to go, no, I, I understand why she's hurt. Let's work through that. But, but no, you're doing okay. You're doing okay. Is it true? Is it life-giving? And what I mean by, especially in our self-talk and our self-thoughts, ruminating on, boy, I'm really terrible at this thing is not life-giving. So what needs to change in your thought pattern so that something in that thought loop, like maybe it's true, that you're a terrible husband or a terrible parent or a terrible employee or whatever it may be. Okay, so what are the life-giving thoughts that are gonna come after that? How is it going to improve for you or your spouse or your situation, your workplace? What's gonna bring life to you and to the people around you? And then does it make a way toward Jesus? I don't know about you, but I get stuck in these loops of thinking about how terrible I am or whatever and, and I don't go to Jesus with it. I go, ooh, maybe I can just hide this one from Jesus and he just won't know how messed up I am in this area. That is theologically inaccurate. It's not gonna work. Does does it lead you toward Jesus? Is it true? Is it life-giving? Does it lead you toward Jesus? Okay, back onto the highway. Ted Roberts of Pure Desire Ministries says that maturity is commitment to reality at all costs. Commitment to reality at all costs. Uh, We want to be mature believers, mature followers of Jesus. As somebody who gets caught in fantasy land all the time and has forever, maturity is commitment to reality at all costs. Commitment to what is true. 
We want to be mature believers committed to what is true and living up to the righteousness of God. So it's a daily practice for all of us who are trying to follow Jesus. A good daily practice for us would be commitment to the truth every day. That every day we would be committed to what is true in our self-talk and how we talk about and to other people. Commitment to what is true. Uh, We are not experts on what is true and what isn't out there. And most of us do not have the technology, the ability to use it, to figure out what they did to the videos, to edit them and alter them and make them look the way they do. We are just everyday people who are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in our day-to-day, everyday lives. To live the life that he gives us. To share the truth that he is. To be committed to his truth, his way, no matter what. So let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, we know that there are and have been uh, since the second page of Genesis, there have been lies that lead us away from you, that make us believe that you're holding out on us, that make us believe that somehow you've made a mistake in us. Lies that puff up our opinions, that cement our point of view in the wrong ways, in the wrong places. Jesus, I am so grateful that you are the truth. And so we come to you and we put your truth above everything else. We want to walk in your ways. We want to live the life that you are offering us. Holy Spirit, would you give us the wisdom to know what is true and what isn't? Help us to tell the difference. Help us to live into what is true, to share what is true. Uh, And Father, would you be glorified as we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.